Hey everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. Ronanddon.com. Hey you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 111 of the Ron and Don Show. It's Ron Upshaw. He's live from the shores of South Lake Union. I'm Don O'Neill, live from the shores of Queen Anne Mountain. And we got our broadcast equipment fixed, so hopefully... Hopefully this sounds better. Yeah, hopefully this sounds a little better to you this morning. So a lot of things going on in the city of Seattle around the country over the weekend. And uh, Ron has written something, I've written something, and then a good friend of mine who I try to help mentor, but really he mentors me. He's in his 20s, he's a local police officer. Uh, He's very involved in the community. He's also a local coach. He's the coach that got me involved at Cleveland High School. And uh, he has written something that I want to share with you that is very important and I think very thought-provoking. But, Ron, you woke up this morning. You wrote something. It's uh, one of the first things I read, and we wanted to share it. Yeah, I could see the smoke billowing between the high-rises in downtown Seattle last night. Turns out it was cars being set on fire by protesters. Race, power, justice, privilege, pandemic. There's no way for me to untangle these concepts in a few words on a social media post, but I invite you to really look at the photos that I posted on my Facebook page from around America. Take a moment and think about these fellow citizens. They all have complex stories of hopes and dreams, struggles and disappointments. I'm in no position to offer a solution or a clever anecdote that will change hearts and minds. I just want to say that I'm doing my best to see you. And I will stop, and I'll say your name. Why'd you write that? Well, I think when I uh, see the narrative that is developing right now, and you see how this has become politicized in an election year, and everyone's been forced to choose their camp, uh, where you start to see it as an us and them situation, you, you, you rally around your little tribe and it's like those people are doing this and those people are doing that i just wanted to stop and when you look at these photographs and you are take a second to say the name george floyd it it humanizes him a little bit and that was a human being it was a guy that had friends and family and hopes and dreams he had his own struggles what was his life like through this pandemic was his income taken away was he in desperate straits right now i don't know but I'm never going to know if I just see him as them, if I just see him as that guy on the video, if I just see him as the dude that died. But when I stop for a minute and I say his name was George, I've known people named George. If I just go, what was George like? What did George like to eat? What was George's favorite sports team? What was George's favorite song? What did George drive? What did he look like? What was his favorite ball cap or pair of jeans or sneakers? How did he like his coffee in the morning? George Floyd was a human being that was killed right in front of our eyes. And the the people that are reacting to that and their fury has risen up because they watched that seven-minute video like you and I did, they're all people too. They have different motivations. So I'm just trying to say their names, see their faces, take a second to realize it is not me and them, but it is us. Like, I I am them. I am George Floyd. You're George George Floyd, in a way. 
And so if we, if we don't take a second to even try to understand that, then we latch onto a tweet about sending vicious dogs out to the protests or when the looting starts, the shooting starts. And if you start to hang your hat on those sentiments, I think it's going in the wrong direction. Yeah. People say this is like 1968. And so I look back at 1968. I'm going to talk about that in a moment because I wrote something about the 68 Olympics um, where I saw two men put on black gloves and raise their hand. And then they're ostracized by the American people for a very long time because of it. There's a third man on the podium that day. He was an Australian by the name of Peter Norman. And he was also ostracized too for what he did standing on that podium with the two Americans. We'll talk about that in a moment. I think what's really interesting as the smoke rises this morning, as thousands of people showed up in Seattle to clean up, I do see some hope. And who knows? Maybe the city will burn again tonight. I don't know. But I do see some hope. You know why I see hope? Because this is what I didn't see in 1968. I saw a woman by the name of Mayor Jenny Durkin step to a microphone to calm a city. I saw a female African-American police chief who almost wasn't considered for this job. But the people in Seattle rose up and said, Chief Best, we love Chief Best. She's the best. And what did Mayor Jenny Durkin do, who wasn't even considering Carmen Best for the job? She changed her mind. She said she was wrong. She listened to the people. And we hired Carmen Best. You know what I saw? My friend had coffee with him every Wednesday morning. His name is Harold. Harold Scoggins, the chief of the fire department here in Seattle, one of the best men you will ever meet, a person of color. I saw in Chicago a woman, a mayor, step to a microphone. I saw in New Mexico a female governor step to a microphone. I saw in Atlanta, Georgia, an African-American female step to a microphone. You know what? Women in this country, they know what it's like to be discriminated against by white guys like me because they've been discriminated against for a long time. What would it be like, though, to be an African-American female and 30 years ago to become a police officer in the city of Seattle and then wonder one day if maybe, just maybe, you might be the police chief? That is completely different than 1968, you guys. We didn't see any of those faces. Those faces, specifically Those females that are African-American in this country in positions of power, they are decision makers, they are great leaders, it gives me great hope, great hope. I love seeing that 
in this city yesterday, even though there are many things I saw that I did not agree with. We come back, 1968. A lot of people say, yeah, what we're seeing in the streets is just like 1968. So I looked back at 1968, the Olympics in 1968, and how two African Americans who raised their fists with black gloves on, an Australian sprinter by the name of Peter Norman, the fastest man ever to represent Australia. You're not going to believe what happened to them after the 68 Olympics. And I would challenge you, coming up here, to find the Peter, Norman, and all of us. He's Ron. I'm Don. We're live from the Les Schwab Studios. We'll talk about it next. It's the Ron and Don Show, episode number 111, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, Ron and Don here, and we just want to give a huge thanks to Les Schwab. They have stuck by us and been a great sponsor since day one here on the podcast. They're doing something really cool if you're in the Ron and Don Nation. They realize you haven't been driving your car a lot. Some of you, the car's been parked for months. How's the battery? How are the tires? Is there fluid leaks under the car? You can get a free Ron and Don free safety check right now, and you can even book it online. So go to leshwab.com slash Ron and Don. You're going to get a map and find the closest Les Schwab location to you. Book that appointment online, and then you take that car in. Maybe you're going to go back to work. Maybe you're taking a road trip. Maybe you're doing a staycation. You can get this all checked out for free. They're going to make sure that your car and your brakes and your tires and your battery and the fluid levels are all great. Doesn't cost you a thing. It's just part of Les Schwab doing the right thing like they've been doing since 1952. So go to leschwab.com slash Ron and Don. You can find a location near you and get that free safety check courtesy of Les Schwab. You're listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show, and brought to you by our good friends at Les Schwab. We are live from the Les Schwab Studios. Uh, we've been talking about what's happening uh, here in Seattle, and we recorded this on a Sunday, so on Saturday. Uh, we had some riots, of course. And you know what I'm seeing on Sunday, Ron? Is I'm seeing thousands of people take to the streets here in Seattle. They've come from all over. Uh, they didn't come to riot. They came to clean up. And I love that. I love that about this city. I love it about the Pacific Northwest. And let's face it, there were some people yesterday, and maybe we'll even see it today, that have a message. It's an important message. And we need to listen. And I don't know if it's enough to just listen anymore. Uh, I think we need to jump in and become doers, uh, too. Ron just shared something that he wrote, kind of a reflection piece. I wrote something before last night even happened. And then uh, my good friend, Trooper Washington, uh, works here in the great state of Washington as a police officer. He's in his 20s, and uh, he calls me a mentor, but uh, he's really a mentor to me. He's African-American. He's a coach. He was coach at Cleveland, and uh, that's one of the reasons we got involved in Cleveland High School. He wrote something really cool. I'm going to read for you in just a moment. But first, I wanted to spend some time uh, just sharing something with you uh, that I had written yesterday. Uh, 
A lot of people say that right now reminds them of 1968 and what was happening in America in 1968. So I went back to 1968 and I found a very famous quote by a white broadcaster by the name of Brent Musburger. Ron, do you know who Brent Musburger is and Brent, Brent Musburger was? Of course. He's one of the biggest uh, sportscasters of all time. And he used to work, I think, for ABC Wide World of Sports. He did mostly college football, but then ended up broadcasting everything. Now he, I believe, lives in Las Vegas and does a gambling website. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's done Monday night football, Sunday night football, Thursday night football, every college game out there. Uh, and let's not forget, when you're, when, when you're broadcasting an NBA game, which he has done, or you're broadcasting college football, college basketball, uh, and also you look at things throughout the NFL, most of the players are African-American. So this is what he had to say about African-Americans in 1968, and he has never apologized for this. So I wrote something called, They Are the Black-Skinned Stormtroopers, uh, and I put it up on my Facebook page. So it goes like this. You've probably heard of the story of two African-American athletes by the name of Tommy Smith and John Carlos. It's October 16th. It's 1968. And this is when you've seen that picture. They each raised a black glove fist during the Star Spangled Banner while on the podium to receive their gold and bronze medals for track and field in 1968. Yeah, those are the Olympic Games. Remember that in Mexico City? The one athlete who gets overlooked is the third gentleman on the podium that fall day. It was white Australian silver medalist. His name was Peter Norman. Along with Smith and Carlos, Norman, who was a white athlete, wore a human rights badge on his uniform. He wanted to show solidarity with his two Olympic brothers. In fact, he had asked the men to help pin it to his jacket before he took the podium that day. Now, after the event, Smith and Carlos, they'd be demonized. They'd be marginalized by the media for years. Famous NFL broadcaster Brent Musburger said these men were acting, quote, like black-skinned stormtroopers. He went on to say, one gets a little tired of the United States run down by athletes who enjoy themselves at the expense of this country. Time Magazine said this, the Olympics were supposed to be about athletes that were faster, higher, and stronger. And instead, because of Carlos and Smith, the event had turned into something that was angrier, nastier, and uglier. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds a little bit like Colin Kaepernick, doesn't it? Yeah. Although all still in their prime, all three men not invited back to the 72 games. Uh Uh-uh. The same Olympic committee, get this, that ostracized them, was the same committee that allowed the Nazis to salute at the 1936 games where Hitler was permitted to oversee the entire event. African-American Jesse Owens, American Jesse Owens, He'd go on to win four gold medals, the first time any athlete had ever done that in any sport, ever, ever, ever. And then when it came time for Hitler to shake Jesse's hand, the German dictator was nowhere to be found. We know that Carlos and Smith, they still coach today. They counsel. They train young athletes. They're both still active in the civil rights movement. But what happened? Whatever happened to Australian athlete John Norman? As soon as he got home, he was hated, said his nephew, Matthew Norman. 
If invited to the 72 Munich Games, he would have won gold. This is what his nephew went on to say. He said, my uncle suffered until the day he died. In fact, John Norman was the greatest Olympic sprinter in Australian history, still is. And yet he was shunned by his own country for the rest of his life. Even at the 2000 Games, which Australia hosted, he wasn't invited, he wasn't recognized, he wasn't embraced in any way by his own country. So that's when the U.S. delegation, they reached out and they included John Norman or Peter Norman in their festivities. Peter Norman died of a heart attack on October 9, 2006. And guess who showed up to give the eulogy and to be the pallbearers and to help take their brother home? I'll tell you what, it wasn't Brett Musburger who has never apologized, but he has gone on to have a storied broadcast career over the last 45 years calling NBA games, college football games, pro football games, where most of the athletes are black. Does he see today's athletes standing up for civil rights as black-skinned stormtroopers? We don't know because he remains silent. Nope, it was Tommy Smith. It was John Carlos who helped their brother ascend his final podium. So let's remember, African-Americans like John Carlos and Tommy Smith, they have been standing up for each other for hundreds of years. Isn't it time to find the Peter Norman in all of us? Ron, your thoughts. Yeah, that's a really interesting angle to look at this through because there's just so much strife right now and so much in the ether uh, nationwide. In the overlay of the pandemic, you can't take that away. You have a president sort of tweeting out celebrations of violence, it looks like, and calling in attack dogs, which has very racial overtones uh, for the, that same era, 1968, when you would see police officers with dogs uh, attacking black people in the streets of America. So it is... Uh, it is long and complicated and difficult to untangle. And I think it's hard to even know that you're pulling in the right direction. But I think it was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that said, uh, the arc of history bends towards justice, something along those lines. I don't know if I got it word for word, but I believe that's true. I believe that the arc of history is pulling us towards being more right and more just and more forgiving. And if you remember those times when people summoned bravery, then they stand at a podium with a, a glove raised in the air. You stand in front of a tank uh, in Tiananmen Square. You stand in front of a police officer uh, who's bearing a weapon on you, and, and you hold your ground. And you say, I am here. I'm a human being. I deserve to be respected just on that basis alone. Um, those are the things that give me hope that we have young people and people of all ages right now that are saying this, this isn't right. Um, we're better than this. And I hope that we rise to the, the rise to our better natures right now. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. And that's, that's well said. Um, it's interesting to me that I don't think the millennials are having it. Right. And yes, we see people in the streets that are taking advantage of a situation and they're breaking into stores and they're looting and they're taking stuff. But let's not forget the people in the streets that aren't doing that and they have a message and they want to be heard. 
It is enough right now to just hear. They say that people can't change. Maybe they can't. Maybe it's going to take my son's generation and the millennials to take this big step forward when it comes to civil rights. I think of older white men in this country, though, that did change. Albert Einstein, you go look at some of his diaries. Wow, is he a racist. He traveled to China, traveled to Japan. You open up those diaries and you're like, oh, wow. Albert Einstein, who lived in Germany, and then when Hitler took power, wouldn't go back. Albert Einstein, that wrote The President, warned him about the atomic bomb. He knew all about it because he was helping to build it. But then Albert Einstein grew older. And you look at some of his quotes and some of the things he learned and some of the things he said. And you know what? Albert Einstein did change. And he took rape racism and white racism and black racism here in America. And he put it under a microscope in the same way that he put so many things under microscopes as a great physicist. Abe Lincoln as a young man, he didn't care about slavery either way. Slavery in the North, slavery in the South. Just part of growing up in America. He wasn't a champion of slaves or black people, but then something happened. What happened to Abe Lincoln? Look at some of his quotes as he grew older, as he changed. And then as he began to write speeches and create armies that would go and not only fight on behalf of the North, and some would say of the South, to keep things united, but on behalf of people that didn't look like him. Abe Lincoln, Albert Einstein. What happened to them as they grew older? Proximity. They learned proximity. A number of years ago, I looked at the proximity in my life, surrounded by white men that looked like me, and I said, you know what? If I'm going to change, if I'm going to learn, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to understand, I have to put myself, place myself in the proximity of people that don't look like me. It's one of the reasons I became a big brother, and my little brother is African-American. I don't know if it's enough to listen anymore. There's There's an opportunity here for all of us to pop our bubbles, expand our tribes, to get in the proximity of people that don't look like us. I learned a lot about black people from my little brother who was 13 at the time. Do you know there's 600 little brothers in line right now? They're all black and brown. Mostly black and brown kids. A lot of them never get a big brother. Most of the volunteers are Caucasian white men. And when they walk in and they're like, hey, I can't practice being a dad to a white kid here. I'm out of here. It's very hard to recruit for big brothers right now. Proximity. If you're looking to understand with the sound of my voice in King County, Pierce, Nahomish, go be a big brother. Be a mentor. Call Ed Ewing with the Major Taylor Project. Go ride bikes 
with kids that are black and brown kids. Instead of joining gangs, they join bike clubs, 19 of them all around the city. You go get on those bikes and build those bikes with those kids and then go on a bike ride, Seattle to Portland. They do it every year. Hundreds of kids have done it. It's a beautiful thing when you see black and brown kids riding, I'm just say it, with a lot of white dudes. <laughs> and Ed has been able to pull that off. It is very, very cool. Congratulations to him and the Cascade Bicycle Club. Proximity. When you get in the proximity of those kids, you see them build those bikes, and you see what their lives are like. Cleveland High School, black and brown kids, that field never got built, and that's why I got so 38 hot about it because a a coach by the name of Coach Washington contacted me and said, we have a field here. The money's passed. The levy's passed. The field was built in Ballard. Same field. Why wasn't it built here in Cleveland? So we went to work to get that field built. I learned a lot. A lot. Through that process. I learned a lot from him. He's also a local cop. He was posting online what some other people said, and I reached out to him. I said, Nolan, what do you want to say? You have a voice. You're a cop. You're African-American. You're in a very unique spot here. You're a coach. So he wrote something yesterday. I'm going to share it with you and come back. Again, proximity he'll say that I'm his mentor, but really he's mine. And I learned a lot by being in the proximity of Nolan. I real, I, I learned a lot by being in the proximity of LaShawn, my little brother. I've learned a lot being the proximity of people like Ed Ewing, a great activist, a cyclist, the head of the major Taylor project. I've learned a lot. My neighbor is Lincoln Beauregard. He went after the mayor because the mayor liked little boys, and Lincoln went after him. He's a great African-American lawyer here in Seattle. I learned a lot from these men. By being in their proximity, by expanding our tribes and our clans, and including people that don't look exactly like we do. I think that's what Einstein did. I think that that's what Lincoln did. And that's maybe what we all should try to do, because listening is not enough. Doing proximity. Blacks have been standing up for black people for a long time. It's time for white people to stand up for black people. And I'm speaking directly at white middle-aged men because I am one. We come back. I'll share what Nolan wanted to share with you. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, you guys, we want to thank our good friends at Les Schwab for supporting the Ron and Don Show. You wanted three shows a week, and now you got three every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The Ron and Don Show drops. And guess what? As we move phase one, two, three, and four through COVID-19, Les Schwab is doing something really cool. I love this because they know you're getting ready. Some of you are getting ready to go back to work or be moving around a little bit more, which means your car has been sitting. That's why they invite you to stop by any Les Schwab location, 85 here in Western Washington, to do something called a Les Schwab free pre-trip safety check. What does that mean? For free, they're going to check your brakes. 
They are going to check your fluid levels. They are going to make sure your battery is ready to go this summer. Because when you turn that key, you want to make sure that that car starts up. They're doing it at all the locations. So make sure as you get ready to go back to work or travel around a little bit as we change from phase to phase, stop by a Les Schwab Tire Center doing the right thing since when? 1952. And at Les Schwab, they know that doing the right thing it matters. Hey, are you ready to sit down with Ron and Don? Start your real estate journey. Reach out to Ron. Just write him ron at windermere.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. It's episode number 111. He's Ron, I'm Don. Again, we're live from the Les Schwab Studios. Uh, Ron shared something that he wrote. I shared something that I wrote about what's happening in America right now. And then my good friend Trooper Washington wrote something. This is one of the young men I meet with every couple months. We sit down, we have a cup of coffee. We look at bank accounts. We talk about owning real estate. He's about to be a dad. We love dogs. He just got married. And he's an African-American cop who's also a coach. He's the one that invited me to get involved at Cleveland High School and help take something that was so wrong, a levy that was passed, the money sitting in the bank, and then the superintendent, Larry Nyland, doesn't get that field built. Larry leaves, and what do you know? A female woman of color steps in as a new superintendent, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, that field gets built. That's progress. Old white guy steps out, Woman of color steps in and gets it done with some help from Nolan Washington. This is what he wrote yesterday. He patrols the streets. Chances are he was out there yesterday with riot gear on, protecting citizens and protesters on I-5. This is what he wrote. He said, I was challenged by one of my mentors to speak more about things and to write more. So I thought I'd share my two cents on what has been happening. And please realize I ain't nobody. Anything I say is not meant to hurt or offend anyone. I'm just a kid trying to change the world and inspire the ones after me. So here it is. The murder of George Floyd is weighing on me heavy. As a person in law enforcement, I'm embarrassed. I'm sad. I'm disappointed that we have failed the people. There is no excuse. We need to and must do better so we can stop these things from happening. As a black man, my heart has been ragged. Once again, this has happened. Once again, I have to see another unarmed black person killed. I am really exhausted from thinking that this will change or can't. I feel just as the protesters or rioters feel. I'm tired, I'm numb, I'm un- I feel unheard. How much longer must this continue? What else has to be done for our voices to be heard? I have come to points where I want to scream out and let out the frustration. But what keeps me grounded is thinking back to my driving force for joining law enforcement, which was to change this exact event along with others, to change this from happening again. By deciding to join, I'm now putting myself in that position where if I'm an officer and I arrive on scene, 
I now have the power to intervene and to stop another innocent life from being taken away at the hands of a bad officer. I would ask those who feel as I feel to channel our energy into something positive and something that can effectively work to change this unfair system. I want you to join me. Heck, what else do we have to lose? Instead of seeing people that don't look like you police your community, you could go out and join them to educate them and also learn from them and work together. I'd even recommend bringing your friends along so you aren't alone. Speaking from experience, being alone in this journey has not been fun, but God has blessed me with others who feel the same as I do. And we're now on a path to help each other. Don't forget how you're feeling right now. All the pain, the anger, the disappointment, the hurt. Let it all sink in and bury it into your memory. But then use it as motivation to really do whatever needs to be done to change it. As Dr. King said, rioting is the voice of the unheard. It's easy to pass judgment on the ones rioting and looting. But then I would ask you to ask yourselves, why are they doing it? Take a look back in history on the treatment of black people who are tired of being unheard and therefore feel there's no other way to be heard. It feels that America has left us no other choice. I get it. And that is why I'm encouraging and challenging all my friends and specifically my black friends and my peers to join me in this fight so that you don't have to sit back and watch and relive what happened to George Floyd and many others like George Floyd in America's past. Again, like I said in the beginning of this, I don't have all the answers and I don't claim to. I've just always had the heart and this ambition to want to help change the world. God bless. Black Lives Matter. Trooper Nolan Washington. And that right there is the silence. The black people have been hearing from guys like me, white men in America, for a long, long time. Nolan, thanks for your thoughts. He's Ron. I'm Don. Keep your head up. Your show is back. We'll see you next time for episode 112 right here on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.